How do you live? Podcast. So I remember the moment when I decided to completely let go and be myself uh, in the situation that I'd found myself in. Um, I was 19 and I'd just been let go from my first kind of real job out of college. And um, I'd been let go for reasons beyond my control and it was all very unfair. But it was right at the start of the recession in 2008 and I was working in sales and I went out into the world to kind of really face my first real series of interviews. And for three months, I went to interview after interview after interview, all suited and booted. And I'd get to the end stage of each one of those uh, interviews. And because it was in the recession, the job would be taken off the market or the job would disappear. Um, but all throughout that experience, I was going into those interviews, presenting who I thought they would be trying to hire. And I got very demotivated and very demoralized. Um, and I went away on holiday and I came back and I rang my recruiter and I was like, I'm back. And he said, great, I've got an interview for you. And I remember going into that interview and it was a group interview and it was the first one I'd ever done. And I remember going in just being like, okay, I'm, it's not a one-on-one -on -one situation. I'm in a group situation and I need a reason for them to pick me. Um, so I'm just gonna be myself and say what I truly think and what I truly feel in this situation. So I did that and I got through the first round and there was a, a second round um, on that day after they'd kind of X Factor styled cut half of the room. And I remember being asked a question by uh, a man and a woman, the man and the woman who were interviewing me. And it was a question that I'd been asked in every single one of the other interviews before that. And it was, how would you describe yourself in three words? And I had my already pre-existing answer that I was going to give. And I started to say it, and I said I was hardworking, I was reliable. And in that last moment, I said fabulous. And I could see both of them kind of step back and kind of say, and they laughed, but kind of think, oh, that's not a usual, A, that's not something that we would usually hear, but also that's not something that we would hear from, at the time, a bearded six foot five, guy all suited and booted um, and once the laughing had stopped and we'd moved on they said the follow-up question as it always was is how would others describe you in three words and I said fabulous fabulous and fabulous and I left that interview feeling better about any of the other interviews I had because I'd truly been myself and if they were going to hire me they would know exactly the type of person that they were going to be hiring and I got a call back and I got a second interview and I did that interview and I got the job and it ended up being the job that I was in for the next six, six years of my career. Um, and because I started that day with being able to be who it was that I, I truly felt that I was, it allowed me to really give my best um, and not have to feel like I couldn't speak about certain aspects of my life or 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 divulge certain things about who I want to be or explore who I was as I grew up. Um, and that kind of culminated in, after being with the company for four and a half years, moving, uh, getting the opportunity to move to America um, and live in New York. And I was 26 at this point. I had lived most of my life or almost all of my life in London, had grown up in London. I had a very strong group of friends and, and close network in London. and. It was scary, but 
you don't get the opportunity to move to America and, and, and kind of further your career that way. So I took up the opportunity and I, I packed up my bags and moved to America, which didn't really feel real until the moment I was on a plane um, and got to America and was like, okay, this is, this is real. And at that moment, when I got to America and I didn't really know anyone apart from who I was working with, you have the moment to really think and reflect and say, who am I gonna be? Who can I be? Nobody here knows me. So anyone I meet, I could turn up and be like, yes, I'm a 35-year-old father of two who's run away from his wife. I could be any, I could be any person I would want to be. I could be a school teacher from Scotland. I could be a transgender man from Idaho with a British accent. Um, but you can be whoever you want to be. So that was a really interesting experience for me, um, having the ability to start to find out who I wanted to be. And it was around this point that, or slightly before that, when I was again going to leave London, uh, or getting ready to leave London, that I kind of discovered the world of drag. Now, I'd always been interested in dressing up. I'd been in every school play uh, throughout my uh, school career, including playing a woman on stage twice, um, which in reflection, when you're a 11 year old boy playing the lead role in your school leaving play as a 35 year old female English teacher uh, is a pretty strange experience. Um, not that that had any formative effects on me later on in life. Uh, but yeah, I started to uh, explore and play with gender um, and quite incidentally I found myself out on a night out on, uh, in New York at a, uh, a gay bar and with a group of friends who all decided to go home just before the drag show started so I stayed on my own uh, and I watched the drag show and I remember being in complete awe and this one drag queen uh, came up to me um, and just struck up conversation and I had a chat uh, and we kind of hit it off. And I remember her saying, I'm gonna do a number now. Do you mind holding my purse? Um, which I did. Uh, and people were, people were coming up to me going, oh, how do, you know, uh, how do you know her? How do you know this drag queen? And I was like, I don't, I've been here a month. I don't really know anyone. Um, and they really kind of started, they were like, well, come to this party. And we went to another party afterwards. Um, and they invited me to a barbecue on the Sunday. And, it was at that barbecue that I was surrounded by all of these off-duty drag queens who were just as flamboyant and just as over the top as they were when they were in drag. Um, and one of them said to me, have you ever done drag? And I was like, yeah, of course I've done drag, having dressed up in costume three times or four times prior to uh, moving to New York. Um, well, she was like, well, you need to take part in this drag competition that I, I host. And of course, by this point, I'd had quite a few drinks and was like, yeah, of course, that's brilliant, why not? Um, so I did, and I threw myself into it and I competed and I came second in, in the heat that I was in. It should have been first, but it was rigged. And as a result, uh, I was asked to be the wild card in the final uh, and I came second in the final. And that really opened doors for me. People started to, because I'd been in the competition, I'd met a lot of people um, and I was invited to perform in other drag shows. And 
this part of my life that had been really interesting to me for so long that I'd only just started to dabble in before I moved to New York started to become a real large part of who I was and who I was becoming. And it allowed me to explore parts of myself and parts of um, who I wanted to be and who I thought I'd be like I had never been able to before. So the notion that I was really starting to play with was my sexuality and my gender. I'd always been seen as this tall, quite masculine guy. Um, and growing up in a quite masculine-centric gay scene, um, where masculinity is kind of fetishized, you kind of begin to build up these ideals of what it is that people find attractive in you, and you feel like you need to conform to those things in order to find a partner or be seen as attractive or fit in. And here I was in this um, Brooklyn nightlife scene where all of that was done away with. You were celebrated for your diversity. You were celebrated for pushing boundaries and being weird and trying different things. And I fell in with this group of people who were the real epitome of that. These were people who had been rejected from their families, who had or some of them had been rejected from their families, others had really great relationships with their families, um, but they'd all come to New York to explore their art and be independent and be themselves. And being surrounded by them and being, being surrounded by such different energy than what I was used to um, previously kind of allowed me to start pushing myself to try different things and explore who it is I am um, and try on a lot of different personas. Now, I was getting to do a lot of that through my drag anyway, as that progressed. Um, my look progressed, who, I, who the character I was, um, or I am, progressed. Um, and Civil War, that's her name, uh, started to develop as a character. Um, but similarly, I was taking bits from her. Um, and luckily, I was in a day job where they, they already knew who I was, so I was allowed to explore that. Um, but I never, I never really held back as well at work. I started to be able to think, okay, well, I'm gonna, I've done a drag show at the weekend um, and I still have a bit of eyeliner on, on a Monday morning. I'm gonna go into work and do that. I'm gonna wear that um, and see how that, that won't affect how I'm doing my job. Um, so I wanna see how people react to that. And some of the things I did didn't really suit me. Some of the things I did actually started to unlock parts of me that I never even knew were there. Things that I started to try that allowed me to think, okay, by doing this, this makes me happy. And by being surrounded by a group of people who celebrated me for that, really allowed me to think, okay, I'm gonna keep doing more of that because they're okay with it. I'm okay with it because it makes me happy. Screw everyone else. Like if people aren't happy with, or if people perceive me and think, that's weird, that's strange, why is he doing that? If it was making me happy, why should I stop doing that just to make them feel more comfortable? And that's not to say that everything I tried worked perfectly. There were a lot of things that I felt that I started to do because I felt like it would make me fit in with them more. I was still the new kid. I was still 
making friends. And um, it's very difficult to make friends as an adult, um, I found. Um, it's all you ever do as a kid, but when you're a 26-year-old adult, um, making friends is, is quite difficult. So you try and emulate people's um, interests and, and mannerisms to try and fit in in those situations. And I found myself doing things and, and saying things that they would say and, and emulating that. And then at the moment I would have said it, been like, you sounded like an idiot. Why are you saying that? It's not you. But it allowed me to try on different things and then find my voice. Um, and it really galvanized who I kind of, I guess, look in reflection, found out that I was in my teenage years when you're at your most formative. That person is always there inside you. And I think that I started to really kind of shave away at who I had become because of who society thought I should be and really start to settle in to who I wanted to be and who, made, who Mark was. Um, and being Sybil part of that time allowed me the space to explore that um, and explore. So then after I kind of reached a, a, a culmination um, of my time in New York and things were, things were winding down and um, the drag thing was really coming to a peak, but my job that was keeping me over there was winding down. And I made the decision to move back to the UK, um, which was actually a harder decision than the one to move to New York in the first place. Because although I was only there for 18 months, I was happier than I had ever been. And I felt more myself than I had ever been. And the person who would be returning to London wasn't the person who had left. And the friendships that I had there, I didn't know if they were still going to be there, how they were going to react to this, this new Mark. Yes, they'd seen me on social media and they'd seen Mark living the life in New York and being this drag queen and having all of this fun. Um, but it's very easy for them to see that online but not have to interact with it. So um, coming back was really difficult, um, but I was determined not to lose the aspects of my personality or the aspects of me that I discovered um, while I was in New York. And that made the first six to eight weeks being back incredibly difficult. I would be meeting up with friends who I'd had really close relationships with before I'd left. Um, and they were expecting to either meet the mark that had been there before he left or to meet the New York drag queen Sybil that they had fantasized about and had, had built up by seeing um, the presence on social media. So finding out these new relationships um, after I got back was really tough. Um, and it took a lot to kind of accept that those relationships had moved on um, and there were new people and new relationships um, that I could form. And I, I was lucky, I, I started to be able to do that. Um, I got a new job back in London. Um, and that ended up being one of the hardest things about moving back because going from a company that I'd worked for for six years where they knew who I was from day one and had seen me develop into the person that I was when I left, this was gonna be the first time that I started a new job and had to do that all over again. Being 
a gay man or being anyone in the LGBT community, one of the things that you have to contend with on a day-to-day -day basis is coming out. You often get asked about your coming out story, um, but what people don't necessarily always realize is that in some way every day is a coming out story. You'll always meet someone that you'll have to come out to, whether that's someone you meet in a bar or someone that you interact with in the workplace. Inevitably questions come up that you either have to lie or divulge who you are. Um, and I'd made a really big decision to never hide who it was that I am, um, especially when it comes to the workplace. Because from the six years that I'd had in that company, I'd worked out that by being myself, I gave the best of myself. Um, so I started a new job and luckily the place where I was working were incredibly accepting. Um, a lot of people found it funny that they'd hired a drag queen um, and that I did these things uh, outside of work. Um, you get and and it became, I became known for, for for that, and it actually opened a lot of doors for me in, in my workplace. Um, but similarly, um, being a part of the gay scene back in London, which was so vastly different to the world that I'd come from um, in New York, gave me the opportunity to kind of step back and think, I want to do something here. I want to, I want to make a space for people to feel the way that I was made to feel when I was in New York, when I was taken in by this group of people um, and allowed to really explore who it was that I am. Um, so I decided to start my own club night um, uh, and I did. And in developing that and kind of going about starting that, I started to meet people um, who were looking for a home and uh, I decided to call my club night Sybil's house, um, because that's what I wanted it to feel like. I wanted it to feel like a house party. Um, I wanted it, people to have the same level of confidence that they would dress up and go to their friend's house and dance around in a living room with that they would have going to this club. Um, and I started to build up this kind of network of people around me who had the same vision. But the two worlds really started to bleed together I was running this club night that was all about self-expression and self-discovery and acceptance. And then in my workplace, I was coming in and I just couldn't not be me anymore. I couldn't hide. Sybil and Mark had kind of started to bleed together into being this one Mark that was truly himself. And I've started to push boundaries in my day-to-day -day life as much as I can because you never know what's going to make you happy. I love wearing nail varnish. That's one of the things that I've discovered from this journey uh, of drag. And it's always made me wonder why it's not acceptable for a man to do certain things that a woman is allowed to do. We always talk about equality from and the gender divide from the perspective of a woman, but and which we should be doing because there is still a lot of inequality there. But there is also a gender divide from the male, male side. And a lot of that comes from the ideals of masculinity, the very things that I've been playing with and, and exploring the boundaries between gender and masculinity and femininity in my drag world are completely applicable in my corporate world as well and my career world. Because as a man in a business situation or a business world, you're perceived to have to act a certain way and dress a certain way in order to go far. There's the old adage that 
says, don't dress for the job that you have, dress the, for the job that you want. And I couldn't think that that is more wrong. I think it doesn't matter how you dress. The work that you're delivering is the thing that will get you the job that you want. And in order to deliver the work that you do your best work, the work that you feel the most proud of, you need to feel comfortable, you need to feel happy, and you need to feel 100% yourself so that you can focus on that. And if that means wearing nail varnish, if that means dressing a certain way, you should feel that you're able to do that. And interestingly, you can. You can go out and do that. You can, as a man, wear nail varnish to work because just because no one else does it doesn't mean that you're not able to do it. And the, the gender equality um, spectrum works in both directions. And by putting it out there, you are going to get funny looks. People are going to treat you differently. There are going to be questions. There are going to be strange looks. People are going to want to avoid you. But don't let that deter you. You need to be yourself and keep pushing through that barrier because once people have seen it and designated it as, oh, that's something, then they can move on. So you need to show it to them. I'd say it's like getting naked in public. Once you're naked and they've seen you naked, there's nothing more to see. So the, once, you, once you've got past that hurdle, there's nothing more no further down the rabbit hole you can go. There's no more surprises for them. Um, and that's kind of the position that I take. Um, and what I've really learned over the last kind of two and a half years is that if there's something that I think will make me happy, I should do it. Screw what anyone else thinks. As long as I'm not hurting anyone else, then I'm going to do it. And if it makes me happy, I'm going to keep doing it. And if it doesn't make me happy, then I can cross that one off the list and say, I now know. I now know that if I don't want to do that, then I won't do it. I now know that if I want to try and see what I look like in bootleg jeans, I'll wear bootleg jeans. It will be a mistake, but at least I'll know that I made, I've been there and I've done it. And it's the same with wearing different clothes. You see people in magazines and say, I wish I could look like that, or I wish I could wear that. Wear it. You'll soon know as soon as you're in it whether you, whether you feel amazing in it or actually you feel rubbish. And if you feel rubbish, then don't wear it. Because looking at something and saying, I wish I could do that, is the worst thing you can do. Actually go out and do it. And you'll actually surprise yourself with how much you can put yourself through and put yourself out there and how that'll reflect on you and really allow you to analyze about yourself what it is that truly makes you happy and truly makes you you. And if you can keep doing that and keep pushing yourself into that uncomfortable zone and finding the comfort in it or absorbing the uncomfort and putting it to one side, then you'll slowly start to move a little bit closer and closer towards that end goal of being happy and being who you are. So if there's one thing that I can give you to take away from this rambling story that I've just taken you through, it's that no matter how old you are or no matter what situation you are in life, never stop working on yourself. 
never stop exploring who it is that you are and what makes you happy. Try different things, put yourself in different situations, because you never know that one thing that will spark off a piece of you that you didn't even know was there. And what that could turn into is a completely different you. And that's not a scary thing, because that new you could be infinitely happier than the old you and can lead you down paths that you never even knew were possible. And if one of those things that you want to try makes you happy, screw everyone else. Don't let the people who will naysay and put you down and think, that's weird, that's different, why are you doing that, stop you. Because if you keep doing it and it keeps making you happy, even if it's minutely more happy than you were before, keep doing it. And at some point, those people who think you're weird and think you're different will come to accept that about you. And, the, and if they won't, then they'll move on. And you will be, the end result of all of this is that you will still be happier than you were before. Be that being a drag queen and running a club night, wearing nail, being a man and wearing nail polish into the office, or simply getting up an extra 15 minutes earlier and going for a walk. Whatever it is, if it makes you happier, just do it. And don't let anyone else stop you.